Welcome to the Instinctive Influencers Podcast, a show where influence becomes one of your tools for success. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Ed Haley. Hi, I'm Brian. And I am Ed. And this is the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Wow, it's uh, been quite a week, uh, Ed. You, my friend, were on a very <laughs> lengthy trip, an enjoyable one at that, I would say. Uh, not lengthy enough, man. I didn't want to come back. I could have stayed there forever, but yes. Uh, yeah, I just you, came back from a bucket list trip. Yeah. You want to tell the listeners what it is you got to go enjoy? Yeah, I got to spend the 75th anniversary of D-Day uh, in the Normandy region of France, hanging out on the uh, the various beaches. Uh, let's see, on the, the actual anniversary day, the 6th, we were at uh, Utah Beach, mm. and we went to saint mier Glis, which is really famous for the Paris troopers who landed on the steeple of the church and hung there. Yeah, I, and one who continued to fight from there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I saw the picture that you know you and your wife put on there. I I kind of clicked on the like button cuz I was like, man, it's so it's just awesome, you know. It's I mean it it's just amazing in itself, but kind of if you would, and I know this show it's it it's a little bit about influence, well, it's a lot about influence, wouldn't you say? But I would hope so. <laughs> what was the the kind of influence <laughs> what was the kind of influence that you think you like personally felt when you were at a place that you have researched and studied so much and you understand so well? Yeah. So I've read, and I, I told you this earlier, I've read so many books on D-Day. Like uh, recently I was reading Stephen Ambrose's book, D-Day, and I've written papers and I've done schoolwork and all this stuff. But even my wife was saying, you really... You appreciate it, but you don't really appreciate it till you realize the magnitude of it, until you see the size of the cliffs that the Marines scaled, you know, until you see these bunkers, the Germans, the thickness of the concrete that the Germans had to fortify the Atlantic wall or the length of these beaches, man. Like, I mean, the Canadian beach at Juneau, uh, I don't remember the exact distance, but it was pretty you know, it was a pretty long beach and they didn't land with near the size of force as the Americans did at Utah and Omaha, but they still had to fight on this beach. Um, yesterday on our last day, we went back to Utah and we were down where the bluffs are and, and you're looking up and you're like, man, these Germans were so high above this beach and the tide was out, you know, and you're like, these guys are coming up this beach with zero cover other than obstacles which are not that thick trust me i looked at a lot mm -hmm. of them and, mm -hmm. and they're just taking this withering fire and and not to be a shameless plug for the show but i was really like what makes a man do that like what makes that where's that influence come from and you know during world war ii there were 17 year olds and some 16 year olds who had lied uh to get in to be a part of World War II. In fact, uh, one of the funny stories is Winston Churchill actually tried to get on a ship for the invasion as the prime minister. And he was told by uh, by Eisenhower, well, no. And he said, well, do you control, you know, you control everything, but what about the individual ships? And he's like, well, then whoever that ship belongs to controls, he goes, okay, then I'm getting on one of them ships. 
<laughs> and the only way was to appeal to him that the country needed him as prime minister and could not afford to have him lost. But yeah, Winston Churchill actually tried to, he want everybody wanted to be a part of that invasion, believe it or not. Like, uh, because they knew what significance it was. And then here we are 75 years later and we're still celebrating it. There's still a few veterans around who are there. Mm. Uh, there was a 97 year old man who actually jumped into the beach to recreate the jump he did at 22 years old. So yeah. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. I watched it. I saw the video. Um, I got to see that uh, with him jumping back in. I mean, they, they did the whole, everything from the pre-brief to right before he jumped in the plane, then uh, they had the videotape of the jump and then the landing. <laughs> and I would just say this, he landed about, uh, I would say he came in pretty hot. So yeah, um, <laughs> his face went right across the ground. But the funny, like the crazy thing is, he got up and it was like it was it, it almost looked like he was a kid again in his in his in his face and all. Um, that's I to me. I'm sure that he was also thankful that he wasn't being shot at this time. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. It's, it's much. It's a yeah. it's a much different scene, you know. Um, yeah, and it, it's uh, it's funny you you brought up. Uh, uh, the the idea of the 16 17 year old people that when when I uh, when I was recruiting in Ohio they did a at a school a little assembly type thing where they actually invited some uh, they they had a World War II vet they had a Vietnam vet they had a Korean War vet and then they had me because I was a newer I was you know a newer army and we were like a panel and the students got to ask us all these questions I was mesmerized by the World War II vet. I, I just I just sat there like a little kid listening to a story and I'm telling you this guy came to tears. He he said he, and he was he was a, one of those 16-year-old kids who signed up illegally and he even said he's like after I got there uh I was away for, you know, cuz it wasn't like he was away for one year. He was away for a few years, right? And he cried during that assembly and talked about how the one thing he wanted to see, he wanted to make sure he got back home for was to see his mother's face. And it was just, and I'm telling you, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. And it just, so when you said the 16, 17 year olds and all that stuff, it, ma it made me remember that particular gentleman. And he just, he had a profound effect upon me. So I couldn't imagine what it was like for you to get to experience something that, well, something that's so near and dear to your heart, you know? Yeah, it, it was. And my wife and I kept saying, like, I mean, I look at both sides of the coin, too. So I'm up there on those bunkers that the Germans had. And I'm thinking, like, Erwin Rommel very much probably walked right in these steps. Like, and, and despite him being on the, the wrong side of the coin for that, he was still a great strategic uh, military mind. And, you know, it was like, wow, this dude really probably walked right here and then like my wife the bunkers she had a hard time with them because she realized that it's a good chance because you look at some of these bunkers you can go in and you're like yeah nobody survived this and and she said she could actually kind of feel that kind of presence like of the uh nazi soldiers the Wehrmacht soldiers that have fought there so and, and same thing on the beach it's like uh you can almost just feel it you know and then they have landing craft that lead into the beach on one of the beaches and it's like Wow, just incredible. Amazing.
Yeah. Wow. That is, that's something else, man. You know, and I asked you, I started off by asking you the, the question, you know, how did you look upon this and how did it make you feel after knowing all this stuff? What I wanted to relate that to in a sense is today's topic, because you basically, you said to us, you've studied it and you understood it, but you never really truly knew until you seen it. Right. And that's kind of like, you know what? where we're going with today's show, because really today's show is about self and we have to talk about self. The topic today is influence starts with self-concept and self-awareness of what the side, this is what psychologists, they refer to as self-concept is a great starting point. If you're trying to learn how to become an influencer and whatnot, this is a great point for you to begin because sometimes it's like, well, I want to be an influencer, but where do I begin? Well, start with self. Self always works first. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I definitely, uh, you can't understand anything if you don't understand who you are and what makes you who you are first. And then that allows you to understand more external stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to jump right into this um, right off the bat. Uh, well, what is self-concept? And from what the, the uh, research we've done, uh, this is what we found. The term self-concept is used in psychology as a means of identifying the thoughts and beliefs that a person has about themselves and how they perceive themselves. Self-concept encompasses what a person believes their attributes are, who and what they are. It is like a mental picture of who you think you are as a person. Have you ever sat there and thought about that? Like try to build a mental picture of who and what you are? Uh, I have as a leader, because I actually tell my wife sometimes I'm a much better leader now than I was before, like as a soldier or whatever. I kind of can look at it and kind of look at who I am. But I also use that as a means to say, okay, well, I like to improve in this area or that area. So I, it's kind of a self-reflection kind of thing to figure out who I am mm-hmm. and where I want where I want to get to. Right. You know, um, what you had to say, that's, that's actually pretty much kind of like the lines I'm on. Uh, there's a AFN. We have those c- commercials. They're all dealing military type stuff, right? <clears throat> so AFN, they have this one commercial and it's a, uh, it's a, a Navy general. And he's standing in front of a tombstone and he says, this soldier was born on such and such date and they passed away on this date. He said, but what I'm most interested in is this little dash right here. This little dash represents their life. I think about that piece and I think to myself, my self-concept of who I am and, and my mental picture of me, it's in that dash. And it's like, how do you fill in that little dash with who I am throughout the years, because I'm not the same person, for instance, as I was as, let's say, a 16-year-old kid versus now as a 40-year-old man. It's it's insane. And one of the things I, I've told different soldiers before, it's like, I know it sounds morbid, but what do you want your tombstone to say one day? And I'd have soldiers look at me and be like, what do you mean? You know, and I mean, basically this, you know, what type of person were you? What, you know, what, what needs to say on your tombstone to kind of reflect who you were will be that person or what do you, what are the things you would like to uh, people to be able to say about you at your funeral? Because that's pretty much, you know, that's like the end as so to speak, as people would think, but those are the types of things like to me, it's like, all right, well, I don't want people to think of me in a negative light. Uh, you know, I, I like this, I like that. I don't want this, you know? So in a sense, take that and reverse that self-concept and that's and that's where 
I kind of go with that. Um, what, what do you have to say, brother? Yeah, I kind of along the same lines. First of all, if you said to me, what do you want on your tombstone? I'm going to probably tell you pineapple, which does belong on pizza and ham. But um, <laughs> have you, you've seen the commercial, right? <laughs> but seriously. <laughs> what do you say? Wait, wait, wait. Hey, self-concept here. Um, because part of it is um, we're going to talk about self-esteem, self-image, and ideal self. You just said pineapple belongs on pizza, yes? Absolutely. It does. If, it's my mom. My mom used to get that when if, I was young. If olives belong on there, pineapple belongs on there. That's just the way it is. <clears throat> but so <laughs> kind of on the same lines, like, you know, what, what do you want it to say? That dash, though, I've never heard that. And and it's very strong. And what I look at is I, I always talk about legacy is my thing. Like, what's my legacy? You know, what was my legacy in high school? Well, that wasn't very good. So what was my legacy when I leave the military? You know, like, what am I leaving behind to make something better or leave an impression? And my idea with self-concept is I want to know what it is I would like my children to have as their memory when I'm gone. When So it, it, that's kind of my idea of self-concept it, when we talk about, like, what you want on your tombstone. What do I want my kids to have what what memory and what we're what we we refer to here is we're obviously this is what we're projecting to to uh to achieve you know that uh how others see us but really but and that's to me it falls back on self-concept all right so my self-concept helps me engineer the life i want to live social psychologist roy bomister says that self-concept should be understood as a knowledge structure People pay attention to themselves, noticing both their internal states and responses and their external behaviors. Through such self-awareness, people collect information about themselves. Self-concept is built from this information and continues to develop as people expand their ideas about who they are. Noticing your internal states and responses and external behaviors. We've, I think we pretty much kind of hit upon that a little bit uh, when we talked about reflecting also, right? How we were able to reflect upon our actions. I'm telling you, to me, it's if you understand why you react a certain way, you'll be able to, uh, I guess, change some of those behaviors so you don't do it in a negative light. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and we talked about that too. So basically, if you get that kind of reflection and you understand those triggers – you can maybe improve on them. Maybe you understand, okay, you know, for me, I try to be a little bit less argumentative because I know that maybe I know that my temper boils easier. So if I'm argumentative, I know it's going to escalate very quickly. So I try to remain calm and be aware of that so that I have a little bit better control over a situation. So that's kind of what goes along with those lines. Yeah, it's just oh, absolutely self-awareness, reflection i mean man i feel like these are some themes i I don't know (laughs) yeah definitely um you know self-awareness people collect information about themselves so do do you um ever find yourself collecting information about like about ed oh that's uh i mean yeah i mean i i kind of pay attention to how i react to certain situations or or you know things especially at home, mm-hmm. I'm really big on trying to pay attention because there's some things that I know that are flawed that I'd like to improve on with my spouse. And, you know, 
So I pay attention and I'm like, oh man, you know, I handled that the wrong way and I need to remember that so that going forward, I handle that particular situation, um, you know, better. Like for instance, she would come home sometimes, I think I've talked about it before, my spouse, sometimes she just wants to vent and it's not that she's complaining, but I would treat it like she was complaining and, you know, that's not what she was after. All she was after was an ear for her to vent to. And maybe she was complaining, but all she wanted was an ear. So I was like, okay, just, you know, so she'll do this and I'll say, okay, just listen. She's not looking for you to solve the world, the world's problems. She's just <laughs> looking for you to listen to her. So that's one of those instances of me yeah. paying attention to me and taking note. Yeah, exactly. And if you think about it though, We've, we te- we were teaching that too during our communications class. Um, sometimes you just have to sit there and listen to what the soldier has to say. They don't need you to fix their problem. They have a solution. They just have to talk about it. Uh, that's Man, that's a really... Or to make them of the solution while they're talking. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's, I mean, but that right there, to me, that's, you know, that's that whole being aware of... Who, yourself and then and collecting that information to build the better you. And and one of the things I've noticed, because I do the same thing, like I'll 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 pick up on a conversation and I'll be like, wait a second, I've been in this situation before. Um, I'm not gonna say the same thing I did before, or I'm not gonna react that way. I'm gonna react more. You know, one of the key ones that I've I've found myself doing more is when somebody tells me something something bad or something that would normally trigger me being uh, mad. I literally tell myself, yeah, it's okay. No one's shooting at you. Wait, somebody told us that once, right? (laughs) Yeah, I feel like a ninja. Uh, The bearded ninja. (laughs) But that's, I mean, and that's, that's the mindset I'm trying to go with. Um, you know, it, it's I hadn't talked to him in a little while, so I'll, pro- I'll probably end up sending him a message here soon. Um, but it wasn't too long ago we were talking about something, and we were talking about uh, isms. You know, you know what you, you know what isms are like, right, Ed? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's like certain places. Yeah, yeah, certain places we act a certain way because it's become the norm. That's how we've always done it. Exactly, yeah. it's a roadblock, right? <laughs> a roadblock of change. And we were talking about those isms, and he and he said, he said to me, literally, he's like, and that's the type of stuff that we're trying to weed out of the service to make it more conducive and a better, better environment that people want to be more active, critical thinkers and all that. They so they'll want to offer their information or their understanding, versus you know when you have those people who. Uh, who are very uh, demanding? They they rule through fear in a sense, or they they try to lead through fear, which I don't I can't consider it leading. <laughs> People tend to not want to give up information; they just want to get it, whatever they have to get done, and then be out of the presence of that person. Sometimes, you know, to me, I wish sometimes people who acted like that had a little bit more self concept, much like what we're talking about. So, yeah, that that well, I mean, I've I've actually attempted rule through fear. So, rule through <laughs> through fear. That's medieval. That's 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 old school Genghis Khan type stuff. You know, uh, if you don't do what I'm tell you, then I'm just gonna murder you. That doesn't work. This is a modern age, and it's an ineffective way to rule. So, or rule or lead or what have you. Yeah. So that's just that's not gonna work. But yeah, I, you know, a bearded ninja. He's full of wise guidance. Yeah. No, and, and that's why I enjoy I always enjoy uh hearing what he has to say. I'm gonna have to talk to him soon. All right, so um I'm gonna continue on the small little area where it talks about what is self-concept. A person's self-concept helps them define who they think they are and how they fit into this world. 
That in itself makes self-concept important because every individual wants to know themselves and feel as though they belong. Now, I you know I've uh, I, I read some uh, things not too long ago, Ed, and it was it was talking about that whole wanting to belong thing, right? Organizations, the more they help their employees or those who work in and around them, the more they help them understand what it is they're trying to do. Uh, to make, say, the world a better place, that is normally when those individuals, they want to be there and work harder for them. So to me, you could even you you could even take that idea of self-concept all the way up through, you know, you could take it through all the different levels throughout an organization. And if people used it more, they could be more uh, introspective, you know, about things. Uh, but every individual wants to know themselves. I mean, I... I, I, I have a hard time understanding why somebody wouldn't want to know themselves, but I mean, there's probably a valid answer. I just don't know, you know, and then how you fit into the world. That's uh that's pretty, that's pretty critical. I would say. Yeah. This, so to me, this is like, this can be you as the supervisor too. You know, I want you to, I want to understand who I am, like what I role I fit into in this organization Sounds a lot like talent management to me. So I know who I am. And, you know, uh, I don't know if we've ever talked about the elevator pitch, basically, you know, selling yourself. So, you know, at our level, when we get to an organization, uh, especially for you, because you can go two different routes, right? Like You can go be a first sergeant or you can be a mass sergeant. So that's where this self-concept, this understanding uh, yourself allows you to sell yourself to get the first sergeant position. Well, here's who I am and here's how I think I fit into your organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the same thing in the business world too, right? Like you get there and when you're interviewing, that's your opportunity to tell them, this is who I am. And this is how I think I can help your organization. That's why self-concept seems to be very important. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and and that's the thing is we're going to jump into the different parts, what has been defined by Carl Rogers. He's a humanist a psychologist, but Carl Rogers actually has three different segments or three different parts to what self what makes self concept. And I think what you're talking about actually falls into the second one of self image, okay, and possibly ideal self. Um, so we're going to jump right into those. There are basically three parts to self concept. There's self esteem, self image, and then ideal self. So. Self-esteem. What are your thoughts about self-esteem right off the bat, Ed? Uh, this is something that you see a lot of younger people. Sometimes they struggle with it. This can lead to some dark places when you lack self-esteem. Uh-huh. And sometimes you can see it in, in how people respond to situations. You, you can see that they, they lack that. So this is one not only to understand for yourself, but for Brian, but for Brian's subordinates, you need to be able to recognize people who have issues with, you know, with self-esteem, I think. Yeah. I mean, uh, we can think about this. Uh, it was way back episode four. We talked about, we had the the suicide talk, right? Oh yeah. A lot of people, they can, they trigger, they trigger that, that, that particular thing. It falls back on things like depression, low self-esteem, you know, things like that. So self-esteem is key to the self-concept because the higher it is, the more somebody has, uh, they have a, a, a more positive or elevated self-concept of themselves and the better things are, right? Um, and, and it's just, it's kind of how you view yourself. 
Uh, so self-esteem is the value we place upon ourselves. Individual levels of self-esteem are dependent on the way we evaluate ourselves. Those evaluations incorporate our personal comparisons to others as well as others' responses to us. I can tell you this, Ed. My self-esteem when I was younger, horrible. And tell you the truth, my self-esteem never really elevated until I was about, I would say, 23, 4, somewhere in there. Like 23, 24, my self-esteem started to elevate more. And the funny thing is, is it was me being placed in leadership positions and allowing me to uh, to be more like the voice of those or, or the the one who's leading those. You, you've talked about basketball and playing basketball and loving it all that. When I was in high school, I'm going to Al Bundy it one more time. I used to love football. I wasn't the greatest on the field. <laughs> I can tell you that right now, but I enjoyed it. And it was something about that sport that helped start elevating that self-esteem, that leadership trait, that influencer trait, right? Um, it It was almost like, Every time I did something good, it was like a little uh, like a little golden ticket or something that I get to hang on to and I get to look back upon and, and, and enjoy. And I want to say uh, there's a book, uh, it's called Can't Hurt Me by uh, Goggins. I can't remember his first name. And he actually calls it, he refers to it as uh, like little cookies that you put in a cookie jar. So every time something really good happens and and, and you, you're proud of it, it's like a little cookie and you just put it in the cookie jar and you just keep filling up this cookie jar. And then when you have those days that uh, that are not so good or those days that you feel like there somebody's really coming down, you can actually reach in the cookie jar, pull out that cookie and kind of, you know, reflect upon that situation and it help you get through. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, no. That Yeah, because, I mean... You, you feel better when you realize that you're good at something. You know what I mean? Like, so you talk about my love of basketball. But if you make a play and people start, like, patting you and, and going, wow, like, then your self-esteem gets elevated. But I think what we got to be cautious of, too, though, is if our self-esteem gets too elevated, we have to be make sure that we can check our ego, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why my wife doesn't like to watch me play basketball, because when I would play and I would be doing really well and people are, you know, boosting up my self-esteem, my ego was also growing and it was growing quicker than my self-esteem could handle. And I was being mm-hmm. a little excessive, so. And yeah. the author of the book you were speaking about is David Goggins, former David. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Former Navy SEAL, Ranger, just real BA Baracus of modern times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, he, yeah, he's impressive. And to tell you the truth, uh, now I remember I actually was speaking to, uh, he's a counselor for like an alcohol rehab type place. We were talking. And we got into this discussion about self-esteem. And he actually was telling me about the whole... And, and it wasn't a counselor for me or anything. <laughs> what I was getting at was he he was talking about how self-esteem is a, it's an amazing thing. And then he talked about the Goggins thing, uh, David Goggins thing, a uh, book with me. And then he was talking about, uh, but we have to be careful. Just like you said, our self-esteem can't get too high. Because if it is too high, you, you want to keep it in the middle, please. Because too high can create a euphoria, so to speak. So in what he was referring to, because what he was talking to me about was like uh, like at this treatment facility where he helps people uh, through their addiction. What it is, is he says, when you're feeling really low and you want to drink, 
you also get that same feeling when you're really, you know, up in the higher area of having high self-esteem. It's the same feeling at the top and the bottom. It's exact same. The only problem is, is the, the much higher one, you don't realize it, that that's what you're wanting. And he was, he was explaining to me that with self-esteem, you got to kind of stay in the middle and you got to kind of float in the middle a little bit. And so, it, you know, it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But it, it, was, it was a fascinating con- uh, conversation. He gave me a bunch of things uh, to kind of look at um, when it comes to a lot of stuff like this. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. That's awesome. So, but with that, yeah, it, it, was, it was really, I mean, he was, he was very knowledgeable on the whole human psychology thing. The deal was, is he even told me, he's like, yeah, I, I always wanted, he's a civilian now. He served four years and it was this, and it kills me. So I think this is, I think this is a part of the self-concept um, older generations I haven't seen. They don't grasp onto where they'll say, oh, I served, but not like you. And I'm like, no, you did serve like me. The only thing different was is I had to I had to go to a war be, or something because it just happened. But I had to prepare just like them beforehand. You know what I mean? Like so, it's kind of I don't know that that's like one of those things that's always bothered me. But he's like, yeah, I served, uh, but no, not quite. Like you only did four years, and then I get out, and then I became this. Um, he became uh, like a drug and alcohol addiction counselor, and and he's he was telling me all this. Oh, he's still serving, and it's what he said. He said I wanted to I wanted to continue to give back to the service. Uh, by helping service members, so it, it and it's it was it's pretty fascinating. I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna see. Maybe I can maybe I can highlight the actually program he works for it sometime on the show down the road. I felt everything he talked about was just amazing. I loved it. I loved what he was telling us. Um, it was me and my commander. We had to go see him about a situation, but the conversation I learned so much and a lot and a lot of it had to do with self esteem, man. Hmm. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. When we compare ourselves to others and find that we are better at some things than others and or that people respond favorably to what we do, our self-esteem in that area grows. On the other hand, when we compare ourselves to others and find we're not as successful in a given area or people respond negatively to what we do, our self-esteem decreases. We can have high self-esteem in some areas. I am a good student while simultaneously having negative self-esteem in others. Hmm. I'm not well-liked. What do, do you have areas, Ed, that you have found you had, you've had lower self-esteem before? This is recent because the job that I came to, like I had never been exposed to some of the uh, logistics that they, that we do here at this organization. And originally like I would go to meetings and I would just clam up because my self-esteem was pretty low on my knowledge but I do find that as I've grown and learned uh, and continued to learn more about what we do and about the logistics, then I'll speak up. And, and so when they're doing, you know, when we have a set of problems we're trying to figure out previously, I'd have just sat there and let somebody else figure it out. I went group think right mm-hmm. now though. I have a little more input and I'm like, well, what about this? And then if it's crazy, it's another opportunity to learn because I'll say something. They'll be like, well, that wouldn't work because of this law or these rules. And I'll be like, oh, okay, now that makes sense. So, yeah, no, this is something that I think we go through through periods of your life. I think you have the low self-esteem. It's getting yourself out of that, though. And how do I get out? Well, I need to learn more. That's what I need to do. And then you get better at it. So, yeah, this is something recent that I've had. 
how self-esteem is adjusted to. Like, for instance, when you make a comment like that, where you say, uh, well, have we tried this? And they say, no, that wouldn't work. Normally, how do you feel right right after your self-esteem, right after they say it wouldn't work, but before they tell you why? I feel uh, less knowledgeable. I feel like I'm the the least intelligent in the room on that particular area. Absolutely, yeah. I and and that's why I was I was thinking about that because the same way, it, you know, where I'm where I've worked in aviation, army aviation, all my career, but they're using some jargon here and there, and I'm like, and I, I'm I'm not joking. I'm writing small little, and it's basically acronyms. <laughs> um, I'm writing these down like I have no idea what they're talking yes. about, like. And it makes me mad because internally, I feel like, well, I should know this maybe. I don't know. And so it lowers my self-esteem a little bit. But at the same time, what I do is I, I pay attention enough to catch on to context clues of what they're saying. And then I'm like, oh, I know what they mean. Yeah. So I write. Uh, I've been, I did the same thing, buddy. I, I wrote the acronyms down and I go to the Google machine and try to figure it out that way. Because they, they use so many when you're doing any kind of logistical planning, like you're talking about S-Pos, S-Pods, A-Pods, A-Pos. And I'm like, who? <laughs> LSA, CSA, you know, and I'm writing them down and then I go back and, and then I have one captain that I work with that if I absolutely can't find it through research, then I'll go and say, hey, sir, I, I tried to find this. I cannot nail down exactly what this is. Mm-hmm. And then he'll tell me, oh, that's the acronym for this. And then I'll go back and say, okay, now what does that do? Or what does that mean? And try to figure that out. Because I learned better, for me, I learned better that way than him saying, oh, that acronym stands for this and that's this. Yeah. Yeah, I might not retain that as well as if I go Google machine it once he tells me what the acronym stood for. So, um, yeah, no, I'm with you. It's funny you say that. So I'm going through the same thing. Absolutely. And, you know, so if you look at it, right, what we were doing and we were making adjustments because we're we're trying to use the experience we've had before. We're making adjustments to our self-esteem. We're gathering that information. We're processing it at our level, right? Um, like so I'm not I may not be completely aware of everything there. So I have to go back and I have to say, okay, well, I understand X, Y, and Z. I don't understand these things. So how do I correlate them? And we process it and then it helps build our self-esteem because one become more knowledgeable. And we understand the situation. And then when somebody talks to us or asks us a question about it, we're able to give feedback or answers, which helps increase that self-esteem. Does that make sense? Yeah, it completely makes sense. Just because, like, like I said, we're right now you and I have a shared experience that it sounds like. I love shared experiences. We just bonded. Oh, man. <laughs> For life. <laughs> For life. Yeah, so self-esteem, huge part of self-concept, y'all. When you When you think about it, and some people we've t- I, I I even talked about it though with my wife where we talked about you don't you don't focus on other people's shortcomings and if you f- if you if you focus on your partner's shortcomings and you you basically you, you lower their self esteem in the same time my self image I can't focus on my shortcomings so much that it detracts from the positive image I could create by becoming more knowledgeable and, and have a be, you know better understanding and whatnot. So we really got to think about self-esteem as a big part of self-concept. Um, your self-esteem, if, if you, if you want to connect it to influence, how you project yourself, right? Because we're going to talk about self-image and, and idea of self also, but how you project your self-esteem can actually influence other people around you. I know it can. 
obviously you can't be overconfident, but if you're confident in something, you know, it, you'd be sh- surprised how somebody will say a little comment to you like, wow, I didn't realize you were, you really understood it that well, or wow, I can't believe that, you know, you, uh, you were so knowledgeable in such an area. That was, you know, that was terrific. I mean, I know Ed's heard it before. Uh, he used to teach a class full of people to help build their self-esteem when it came to giving a class. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And it was a challenge sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, it is, but it's funny. But wasn't it funny though? Like when you watched people come into that classroom as unknowledgeable on one thing and you help build them up to become, and and you, you watch the first time they give a class to the last time they give a class or whatever and see, you see a growth in their own self-esteem. Oh yeah. And the the greatest ones were the ones that were going to work at the Academy with us because I can see them six months down the road as compared to, you know, day zero. Mm-hmm. So those were the best ones to see because you could really see that growth uh, and you could see their self-esteem increase over time. And when we see other people's self-esteem grow because of something we may have done, that helps in turn grow our self-esteem, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it raises my confidence as an instructor because you got it. Mm-hmm. And the bad thing is, though, that we beat each other, beat ourselves up because at the same time, you may have somebody that just does not advance and maybe they're just resistant and uh, so they don't do as well. And then we also take that personally and that can hurt our self-esteem a little bit. We take that hit, that failure, that that one that, hey, we got to kick him out of the academy because he just cannot teach who was one of my early students. He just cannot instruct the way we want him to. Those guys hurt your self-esteem a little bit. It makes you take a step back. Yeah, because you started you start reevaluating who you you know you're who you are and how you're going about things. So I totally understand. Heck yeah, man! All right, uh, we're gonna move on to self-image, which is the second part of self-concept. Self-image is the way we see ourselves. Self-image includes what we know about ourselves physically, i.e., our brown hair, blue eyes. You know, whether you have a tail or not. Our social roles, also whether we're a wife or a brother, we're, you know, if I'm a gardener, I'm a soldier, whatever, and our personality traits, outgoing, serious, kind. So if you think about it, self-image is more, it's the physical traits. It's not, it's not the mental traits we talk about in self-esteem. I see myself as tall, dashing, and, and rather uh, confident in my behavior or how I act. Well, you're one of those. <laughs> uh, but when you think about it, though, it's like, how do you know? One of the things is um, haircuts, right? My self-image. I like to have my hair cut a certain way every time. I always pick the same type of barber um, when I'm, you know, I, when I was in high school, I had the same barber throughout the years. You know, um, then matter of fact, you and I, we had the same barber back in Clarksville. When I got here, I evaluated, I literally watched the different barbers in the barbershop and watched how one, they interacted and two, uh, how well they trimmed other people's hair. And I s- basically selected the one who would help do what he needed to, to make my hair look o- good for my own self image. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm not going to have somebody, I'm not going to walk in as somebody to jack it all up because then, then you become a little bit self-conscious. Right. I mean, if, have you ever felt that way, Ed? Uh, yeah. When I got here to Germany, <laughs> I had some rough haircuts before I finally found a barber. Yeah, yeah. And was it tough, though? 
Yeah, it was because I at one point I was actually like, you know what? I'm gonna start shaving my head again. I've had enough of this nonsense. Um, oh man, yeah, it, it was rough at first. Now I got one, and actually I gotta go see her here in a little bit because I really need Erica. <laughs> I got one now, and I I I get really upset when I go there and she's not there. I know she's off certain days, but if she's not there on a day she's supposed to be there, I'm like. <gasps> Oh no, someone else is gonna have to cut my hair. No, especially like a day like today when I absolutely have to have one. <laughs> oh man, I hope I hope she's there. She better be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's funny though, because that's you know, in a sense, like you're literally going through this whole little thing in your mind, like I hope she's there and all this stuff, because it all reflects upon your self-image. Oh yeah. Like and then you know with the military, your haircut is important. I, I can't tell a soldier, hey, you need a haircut, and I don't have a haircut either. So then it, it's so much more to it, dude. But you do you feel really I remember coming out of there, man, after Heather cut my hair and styled it, because at the military barber, they really don't style it. They just cut it and like you gotta go home and style it. But Heather would style it and man, you just you just walk with a different sense of confidence. Cause you had that fresh looking hair. You want to go cut. show it off. Yeah. And you always get it for something yeah. <laughs> significant. Like uh, the wife and I are going to a Taylor Swift concert. Got to get a haircut today. Like you just want that extra boost uh, to you, to your, your image and your confidence. So yeah, it, it, I agree. Hair, a, a fresh, nice haircut. It's a booster. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But that's, but that's all part of that self image thing, right? That that's how it's how you see yourself physically. Um, at the same time, you're a husband, you're a father, you're a soldier. How you see yourself in those roles, also those social roles, I, I'm because I'm the same. I'm the same thing as you, and it's and it's funny. Like when I see myself as a husband, uh, I, I want to be I want to be that loving, caring, supportive individual. When I see myself as a father, I want to be loving, caring, have discipline for my children, but in a manner that they'll learn and they're not going to resent me. As a soldier. It's like a mixture of both of those things, loving, caring, support them, but also have discipline for them, but not in a manner where they'll resent me. You see what I'm saying? It's very much all the same, yeah. but it's still a social role. What do you got? Your social role plays a big deal. And, and that again, I can see how it fits right into your self-image because I went through a divorce. And when you go through that, you know, you really feel like, well, was I a bad husband? Like it, it could hurt your own image of yourself. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not a good person to live with somebody else or um, whatever it is. So it could had, do some damage there and that could so damage your self image, could damage your self esteem. And then here we go. Like, like the rock rolling down the hill, gathering moss or whatever snowball effect. That's it. Snowball effect. <laughs> but <laughs> I knew I was trying to say something there. Yeah. But yeah, how you see yourself is important. But let's be accurate too. Like, see yourself be, le- you know, legit. Like, if Brian, you, if you saw yourself as well, I'm, I'm pretty much Thor. And that's probably not accurate. Like, you don't have long, flowing, golden hair, but uh, everything else, all right. But other than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, and that's that, but that's the whole point, though. It's like, you 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 have to see yourself in that positive image too, though. Really, I mean, because if you can visualize, we talked about uh, creating a vision uh, back a few episodes back. But if you can visualize that that self image, you should be able to fulfill it too. I mean, yeah, I can't I can't be Thor, right? <laughs> but can I be a superhero to my kids? 
absolutely I can, you know, yeah. can they look up to me? Like, you know, like I'm something really great and important. So you can almost relate it, I guess you could say. Yeah. And then, you know, and the, so from the research we did, it talks about um, sometimes your self image isn't matching reality and some individuals hold an inflated perception of one or more of their characteristics. Mm. So sometimes people try to impress you by using $10 words, right? With a GED vocabulary, it, it, you pick up on it. Like you can pick up on people who are trying to be something they're not like what, whatever personality trait, um, usually the person who thinks they're funny, but they're really not funny. That person's usually annoying and you pick up on it pretty quickly. Yep. So they may think, Hey, I'm hilarious. Like I'm, I'm the next Kevin Hart or <laughs> yeah, no, you're definitely, uh, you're not at all. So those things could have a, a negative impact, having an inflated, uh, yep perception of your characteristics and your self-image absolutely and the thing is is those inflated perceptions uh they could be positive or negative and the individual may have a, po- uh, a more positive view of certain aspects of the self and a more negative view of others you, you kind of got to be careful with that you have to you don't because you don't you don't want to hold yourself to such a high uh self-image that all of a sudden now you your ego is building off that and you are better than them or you look better than them or, you know what I mean? Like those are the things you have to be careful of because you could fall into that, that pit. And that's kind of like a never ending pit in a sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Like the, basically you're sitting on a throne of lies trying to look down on somebody and, yeah. and, and it's really your own self image, you know, being unrealistic. I like that comment. Throne of lies. Ooh, that that could be a good yeah. show. <laughs> no, you, you right, don't so, even want to know where I got it from. <laughs> oh, 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 wow! Uh, so we we just we discussed self esteem and we talked about self image. Now we're going to go into the third part that Doctor Rogers. That kind of feels weird because the Rogers we know he's not a doctor, but he might as well be. <laughs> Ideal self. This is what a couple of different authors that we looked up uh, mentioned. The ideal self is the self we would like to be. There's often a difference between one's self-image and one's ideal self. This incongruity can negatively impact one's self-esteem. So see how that that what what we're saying is is so I have I have my self-image that I I I can see. And then I have my ideal self. And if those two don't like equal out almost, or they're not closer to reality of each other, then it knocks my self-esteem. So it's kind of like a Trinity thing there. You know what I'm saying? That makes sense to me too. So yeah, sometimes your self-image and your ideal self, they're not going to, they may or may not match up together. So, and and that could be an issue, uh, you know, with identifying your ideal self. Yeah. So while it is difficult, if not impossible, to achieve perfect congruence, greater congruence will enable self-actualization. Incongruence between the self-image and ideal self means there's a discrepancy between oneself and one's experiences, leading to internal confusion uh, that prevents self-actualization. So there's a Dr. Bruce Bracken developed his own multidimensional self-concept scale that includes six primary groups of traits that help to de- uh, define self-concept. And, you know, and this is kind of like an area where you can actually kind of look at things. Let's talk about the physical first, right? 
how we look physically, healthy, physical fitness level. I am ugly, you know, I am strong or, or I am, you know, I'm good looking, the, the physical traits. So let me ask you this. When you're at the gym, Ed, right? Yeah. And you've been, you know, lifting and you're really getting after it and stuff. Are you pleased with what you see in the mirror or are you like, oh, man, I wish I could just be bigger? Uh, so I base my pleasure for the gym on how sweaty is my shirt? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a physical image if you think about it. Yeah. So I will look and if it is like just sweaty around the neck, I'm like, oh, I did not get after it today. <laughs> and, and it's a big letdown for me. So, yeah. yes, that, that and then on arm day, ever since my daughter and my sister decided that my daughter got her noodle arms from me, then on arm day, I do kind of look a little more at size and and stuff like that and, and maybe get disappointed or think, man, I need to work this even harder next time. Let me give you a little boost of self-esteem here, buddy. I've seen you in the gym after you lifted. You don't have noodle arms. It was because my daughter didn't do well in a competition because of her arms, and now they traced it back to me. <laughs> oh, whatever. That's messed up, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So wow. apparently noodle arms is hereditary. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Or, you know, and if you think about it too, right, We so we, we think not only the the – you know, our, our physical help health, but also maybe like, you know, and how we physically looked, you know, um, for instance, some people are self-conscious about their teeth, right? So they don't smile a certain way. I, I know people like that, you know? Yes. Yeah. I've seen that. I, I had a soldier and she had a gap in her front teeth. And every time she laughed, she would put her hand over her mouth. And I actually told that soldier one time, I said, do you know that, that draws more attention than if you just laugh. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And she's like, do you really think so? Yeah. I said, yes. Cause every time something's funny, you put your hand to your mouth. That's a distraction. People notice that movement. Yeah. I said, you should try it and you'll notice people won't even notice it. Yeah. Now she's had braces and it's gone, but yeah. yeah. Michael Strahan, um, I saw him, I was, uh, I had to catch a show because he does, a uh, he does all kinds of shows on TV now, but he, they started, he started joking about himself and his, the gap between his teeth. But, he even said, he's like, oh, I'm not getting this change. This is part of my image. And I'm like, you know what? That's that's good. To take something that could have been a weakness and turn it into a strength of that's your self-image and you're proud of it. That's that's good. You know, I have I have crooked pinkies. David Letterman. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's another one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, David Letterman did the Gap 2 for years. He, I want to say he maybe had a logo for his show or something that had it in there. Like, yeah. Sometimes you just, people just embrace those, those things and yeah. 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 I, so I, I'm, I'm self-conscious. I've always, I uh, was always self-conscious about my pinkies because they're crooked. Um, they're, they're just, one of the bones didn't grow the one in the middle. So they kind of curve in and it always bothered me for years, even when I was young. So like, if you'd ever see me, I'd kind of curl my pinkies in and that way people wouldn't notice it. But I found that that like you said, with the, the young lady and covering her mouth, people notice it more when you're doing something that's out of the normal. Yeah. So let's yeah. talk uh, with social, how we interact with others, both giving and receiving. That's, you know, that's another area of self-concept. Interacting with others, you know, giving and receiving. It doesn't have to be giving a, a gift, but just maybe giving a smile, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. So this is one that I've worked on now for about a year and a half. I've been trying to get better at. 
So quick story. So when we were at Normandy, we stopped at this restaurant and we were eating. And the lady at the table next to us had an English accent, right? So we're in France. And she makes a comment about her accents to the French waitress who doesn't speak a whole lot of English. And so I snickered about it because she said something like, you know, my my French is is terrible. My English isn't much better. And so I laughed. And the table across from her laughed. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, she turns to me and she goes, you know, and I hadn't spoke, so she doesn't know. So she goes, are you laughing at me? I said, I absolutely am with my, my English, my American accent. Right. And she just laughed at that. Well, then she starts talking to my wife and she starts talking to me. And then she had got a book at one of the museums she went to that she bought and she give it to us. Um, so that's that, that's social, how we interact with others, you know, that little gesture, just thinking that what she said was funny led to an interaction. And then we end up walking out to the parking lot, talking to them. And oh, that's cool. Uh, I told my wife, I said, Hey, this, uh, this be a more social thing. This is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it is, man. I told, I'm telling you. If you just try to interact with people more, it's funny how you kind of, you literally can see them light up. So being more social kind of helps out. And, you know, there's a, um, there's a book uh, referring, you know, because there are people that say, well, you know, I'm an introvert. Well, that's fine. There's actually this really good book. It's called Quiet, The Power of an Introvert. And there are concepts in there that can help people who feel as if they're introverted to become more social and more active with others. And to, frankly, um, I, I recommend anyone to get that and to check it out. Same, same thing. Like when we were at the beach, we were in one of the bunkers and we started, we started having a conversation with these two kids and their mom. They took a picture of us in the bunker and we took a picture of them and just a random conversation. That kid was smarter. On, he was probably about 12, 13, smarter on military history than me, man. It was an awesome conversation, but just random in this German World War II era bunker, just being social. And you just, I, I get a, I can tell you, I get a, uh, I get a dopamine rush from it. I get a boost from it. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Well, it's because we, we were, if you think about it, we were gener- genetically built to be social creatures. We were, we're not built yeah, to stay to ourselves. When you put somebody in solitary confinement, they usually go crazy or they become truly depressed and everything. So there becomes a chemical imbalance. We're supposed to be social creatures. Good point, man. Great point to add to that. Yeah, it's it's different. So so I got to correct the story-ish. I'm going to try to correct the story. So what happened was the lady didn't get her garlic bread. And then when she said something to the waitress, you know, I, I, I laughed. And then she turned around and said something to my wife and my wife says uh, my wife goes oh i'm so sorry and she goes you don't have to apologize my wife says i'm canadian i do have to apologize <laughs> and then we all <laughs> laughed and it kind of turned into this thing so my wife can hear us recording and I, I got the message that but it was funny my wife was very quick with it too like i'm sorry oh you don't have to apologize no i'm canadian i have to <laughs> so just to clarify but it's still it created a social thing it was really cool you know here we are in france yeah three tables of us none of us speak french really you know it, it was it was it was funny you were all were in the same predicament yeah and it's rough i'm gonna tell you in that part of france there's not a lot of english uh speaking except right on the like stores on the beaches but once you leave that general area uh 
it gets a little harder to find somebody who speaks any, any uh, a lot of English. They'll speak it a little, but un petit. <laughs> Uh, brother let me tell you it's it's just as bad here <laughs> like yeah. i don't even like interacting with the the toll booth lady like if you drive out the highway and you go to the toll booth and she's like telling you it's it almost feels like she's screaming at you to tell you to give you the money you know and i'm like i'm trying to count it i'm trying to count it you know <laughs> so yeah i, I totally I'm so confused. yeah that's how i feel but I, and i and i just told the guys too because we went to a baseball game the other night uh last night actually uh up in Suwon, and we went to watch a baseball game and i told the guys i said man i wish i knew more korean i wish i could just understand like half of what they're saying <laughs> and how to say hello and goodbye that's it <laughs> all right uh the next <laughs> and you've been there before yeah that's a great well like 18 years ago man so um all right i'll give you that <laughs> all right so the next uh the group of trait uh the other trait uh that we got in here is family how we relate to family members how we interact with family members i think that is key i really believe that helps out with the whole self-concept with especially especially with self-esteem i feel like and the image definitely am i a good enough father that's like that's one of those big ones to me like I literally will sit there, and I don't know if you've done it before yourself, Ed. I will sit there and debate in my head about certain things, interactions I've had with my kids, worried if I've messed them up for life, you know? just And it could be something small and stupid, but I still worry about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I, I do. And, you know, and they're doing what we do for a living, too. So I always uh, question that, like, being military, am I doing, am I, am I being a good uh, father to the kids or a husband to a wife because it's so taxing what we do. It's so uh, demanding of our time and our, our, we're gone so much. So those are that is one of the things I, I, I think I often reflect on for the ideal self is the family part. And then my siblings too. Like, I, am, am I, cause I'm the oldest, right? Like, and you know, I mean, my father is, he's still, he's still alive, but with my siblings, I look at, am I, a, the best big brother, older brother that I can be. My sister would prefer older brother, not big brother. Am I the best one that I can possibly be to them? Like, am I the example for them? Have I always tried to be that? Those are the type of things. Yeah, those are very important to you. Uh, I'm just going to go on a record here. I've seen the picture of the three of you standing together. You are the biggest. I'm just going to put it out there. Okay. Um, and I'm not talking about like Thank heavy. You. I'm talking about tall wise, like you're super tall and the rest of it. It's just one of those things, man. Like you just don't want to, you don't want to, like, I don't want to be known as a deadbeat dad. You know what I mean? So yeah. Um, let's move into the next one. Competence. I love this. I've always loved that word. Competence is my watch word. That's, it's a little quote from something. How we manage the basic need of our life employment, self-care. Am I a skilled writer? Am I a skilled soldier? Do I understand the, the necessary qualities and traits needed to do X, Y, and Z type thing, right? Competence, I mean, competence is many things. Competence in, say, cooking. Anyone can put toast in a toaster, click it down, hopefully it won't burn because you didn't adjust it too high. Right. But can everybody cook good French toast? What's the competence level of being able to do that? I guess that's I guess that's a simple way to look at it. But when it comes to work, uh, competence, that's that's how you know if you're going to stay employed or not, personally. <laughs> okay? That's the way I see it. 
Yeah, and this is also this is you know my favorite thing is lifelong learning, and so for competence, I look at that as an opportunity to do some more learning. So you know, as as the older generation, and you're very good at the iPad and all this stuff, but as they keep changing things, and then you retire and you move out into the civilian sector, there may be some new technology that Brian and Ed just do not know. We don't we're not familiar with, and. That's one of those things that like through self-study and, and learning, you can get more competent in. So for me, it's Microsoft Excel. I hate Microsoft Excel. Right. But watching videos, reading uh, Microsoft for dummies, those can make you much better and more competent in the use of that program. Mm-hmm. So that, that's to me, that's an opportunity to make yourself better through the lifelong learning. And, and obviously some things you're just good at, like, you know. But some things you got to work at, even in the sport. So my brother's a great bowler, but he wasn't always a great bowler, right? He had to work at it to get more competent. Now, he's got skills. I hate that I've got a bowl against him in November, and he's really, really good. Absolutely. And, you know, so uh, I pull up the definition real quick, too, so we can read it and then people can kind of see what it is. The quality or state of having sufficient knowledge, judgment, skill, or strength as for a particular duty or in a particular respect. Really, it's, are you able to, you know, are you able to do what needs to be done for whatever skill is needed or for whatever, um, whatever decision needs to be made? Um, Because, you know, making decisions, being competent in the area that you have to make a decision upon, that is key because you could, you could really make a bad decision. Yes. And it can affect multiple people. Right. Yes. It, I think it falls back on like, just like you said, man, it, lifelong learning is one of those. It, it sounds like a catchphrase for us, but it's not just that. It's actually a way of living for us. Right. That's part of being an influencer. So you you gain that competence by learning as you go and, and retaining that information. The people who don't have competence, something normally are those who don't pay attention when something happens. And we've, you and I have seen that, Ed, you know, um, I, I, I don't want to bring up a particular person, you and, oh man, <laughs> how do I say it? Cause we're so far away and real short. Yeah. Gotcha. You already know, don't you? Yeah, I gotcha. That's okay. So yeah. Ed and I have dealt with an individual and I truly, okay, this is the way I think. I think the person is smart enough to be able to do stuff, but never paid attention. Never once. No, and the reason I I think and, and and let me and I'll back up the reason why I think that person is smart enough is because of how uh, quickly they could give answers, um, like excuses, I guess you could say. But they're well thought up, and I'm like, how did you come up with that? You know what I mean? I think the person was smart enough, just didn't pay attention when they needed to, to allow them to be competent in the tasks we needed of that person. Does that make sense, Ed? So that. Yeah, so I'm going to tie this into a little bow for you. So the problem with that person's competence was they had an inflated self-image. So when you tried to help them, so for example, I go in the classroom and I say, hey, you need to work on this. I always do that. I just sat in your classroom. You didn't do it. like, Or, hey, I know you're struggling getting your evaluations scores up, so come see me and I'll help you. No, I'm good. They just don't like me. So their image was so inflated that it affected their competence level. Yeah. I knew I was spot on with the person. So. And, you know, 
I hate to say this too, though. It's like sometimes we can we can actually be the downfall of that, or we can be the one who's overinflating their self image too. Because if if we don't say something, and and it's not like in a mean way, like actually talk to because. And you have to catch it early on, right? Because obviously you're talking about situations where this person's already been overinflated by others. And now it's like, oh crap, we can't, we can't mm-hmm. uh, turn this around because this person's obviously gone too far. I think really it's as an influencer, you have to be honest with those people. You have to be honest with yourself though, too, at the same time, you know, um, and how you direct your attention to them. So yeah, I mean, that was a, that was a definitely, uh, that was a good way to pull it all together there. The very next one falls in line with competence. It's academic. Intelligence, school, ability to learn, things that we could say to ourselves, or, am I stupid? Am I smart? I think competence and academic fall together. So, you know, Dr. Bracken, he, he, he refers to these as six separate areas. But to me, I, I almost have to say competence and academic kind of fall together. I mean, what do you think, man? Yeah, we, they kind of do. I mean... Yeah, because the whole thing with academics is, you know, your your competence level is going to drive your success. So when you feel like, you know, you, you just can't learn or you're terrible at school, like you hear that a lot. Oh, I'm just not good at school. Well, that's going to affect your ability to perform uh, academically in school because you've already got that negative mindset. So, yeah, yeah I can see how they could bounce together. Yeah, they and they very much are. And, but then again, I also now I'm looking at it. I kind of kind of see it as how they're separate because one feeds into the other, if that makes sense. Um, I really believe the academic feeds into the competence more than the competence feeds into academics. But then again, I think understanding certain academics becoming competent now feeds back into academics. So it's it's kind of weird. But I would definitely say that this falls back on lifelong learning, bro, (laughs) that right there. And it turns into, it's like, all right, so what are you doing to learn something new? Or do you have the ability to learn something new? And where are you getting the information from? Are you doing your own research? Are you allowing somebody else to do it for you? And you're just listening to them. I mean, you know, that, that to me, that's, that's key because although we can take other people's opinions, we've also got to understand how to search for our own answers. Now, I'm not saying, you know, somebody listening here, you know, right now is somebody's going to find another black hole in the universe because they, you know, they figure something out or whatever. <laughs> what I'm getting at is, is, well, do you understand black holes? Okay. Well, I mean, I don't understand them, but well, what do you know about them? And then how did you learn more about them? Well, you got to study what other people have researched and then you test those theories, you know, and things like that. So it really, you know, that's kind of where that whole, I think academics comes into play with a self image. All right, the next area that we're going to speak about, uh, and it's the last of the six, is effect. Interpretation and understanding of emotional states. This one, that's probably the that's probably the most key one, wouldn't you say, Ed? Uh, that one I really think plays into self-awareness, too. That, that's one for me, I can tell you, that's uh, pretty important. Um, being able to understand. So I understand what frustrates me and I understand when I'm starting to feel a little bit flustered or so right now we're having internet issues here. And, um, Mm -hmm. I can tell you, man, I hate seeing that stupid spinny on Netflix. 
and then I'll try something else and then we'll go back and it's still just on the spinny or it'll go to 24%. I know that makes me flustered. So for a couple of days last week, I was like, I'm not going to turn the television on. I'm just going to read. I'll let my wife deal with it because I know uh, it, it flusters me. And it's just like anybody nowadays with a smartphone, you pick up your smartphone and you got no signal and you get frustrated and it's a chemical thing. And if you look, uh, our man, Simon Sinek talks about it in leaders eat last. It's a chemical thing. You're flustered because you don't have internet in your phone and you need it right this moment, but you really don't because you just want to see who liked my pictures. So, um, yeah, understand your emotional state. We've talked about it before, um, you know, with emotional intelligence. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's understanding not only those those frustration times, but also those angry times, those happy times, those sad times, those times when you're depressed, right? And be able to identify those areas. I think those help with that self, you know, actualization and help this, you know, you identify the self concept that you want to reach. Right. Two, two perspectives can be combined to zero in on one specific trait that uh, that help a person better define their self-concept. So if you take any of those six physical, social, family, competence, academic and affect, you can take the two of those and you work on two together and it'll help increase or make things better for you in, in your self-concept. Does that make sense? Yeah, because we even talked about the two perspective thing, you know, earlier. Uh, we talked about, you know, if, um, competence and academic, right? Those two, those those two can be combined together, and then that helps us have a better understanding of that aspect of our own self concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, and I mean, even the you could say you could take competence and physical, or you can take affect and social. Uh, so I mean, there's all different types, you know or affect. I'm sorry. I said affect. I meant affect. <laughs> um, but you take those, you combine the two and you use them to help increase that self-concept. All right. Development of self-concept. Self-concept begins to develop in early childhood. Now, the process continues throughout the lifespan. However, it is between early childhood and adolescence that self-concept experiences the most growth. By age two, children begin to differentiate themselves from others. By the ages of three and four, children understand they are separate and unique selves. At this stage, a child's self-image is largely descriptive, based mostly on physical characteristics or concrete details. Yet children increasingly pay attention to their uh, capabilities, and by about six years old, children can communicate what they want and need. They are also starting to define themselves in terms of social groups. And I, I, I watch that with my kids now, man, or especially my youngest one. She, you, I see her starting to define who she is, um, <laughs> and it's she's definitely an artist. She's going to be a starving artist, but. She's an artist. <laughs> All right. Uh, continue. <laughs> yeah, continue on. Between the ages of 7 and 11, children begin to make social comparisons and consider how they're perceived by others. That right there. So that, that's what we're seeing nowadays. You know that, Ed, right? A lot of these kids, and, and I say kids, you look at the ages you know, as they grow further, but it's between that ages of 7 and 11, and they're starting to have that social comparison. And they're defining who they are. And, and basically, they're segregating themselves from other people because 
they may, you know, they may not think they're good enough or they're too good or this or that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then this is where when <clears throat> this is uh, where it says that you start realizing, like, I'm a little more athletic than the rest of these kids. But mm-hmm. this is also where you get them kids with that inflated self-image. And now we're looking at possible egomaniacs later. Uh, yep. so you got to be careful here, too. But this is where it starts to separate. This is where you start seeing, especially here, I can remember. <clears throat> Believe it or not, this is where I start getting picked last for dodgeball because it just ain't that good. I start I don't pay attention during dodgeball and I get hit in the face. But this is that age. But this is also <laughs> around the age. Uh, not really basketball just yet. My dad was still beating me up on the basketball court around this age. So but this is where you start seeing that, that who's more athletic, who's the smart kid, you know, in class. And we start picking on the smart kid, yep. of course. <laughs> no don't don't do that no that's bullying come on uh no but i mean in a sense uh you think about it, that's where that ideal self like you you it's what you're wanting versus what your actual image self image is and this is where you know that you want to kind of get an even keel type thing so adolescence is a key period for self-concept the self-concept established during adolescence is usually the basis for the self-concept for the remainder of one's life During the adolescent years, people experiment with different roles, personas, and selves. For adolescent, self-concept is influenced by success in areas they value and the responses of others valued to them. Success and approval can contribute to greater self-esteem and a stronger self-concept into adulthood. When, when When I read that, what came to mind was... Everyone gets a trophy type situations. <laughs> okay. And I will tell you, I will tell you that has, that has created a massive problem in today's society because you think about it, right? So I, I, what I just self con- concept is influenced by success in areas they value and the responses of others valued to them. So when I give every single kid a trophy on that's in an entire league, they get this idea that everyone deserves a trophy. Right. When really, whoever wins first place should be the one who gets a trophy. Or everyone gets a prize. Not everyone gets a prize. You know, not everyone makes the same amount of money. Not every. You know, and that's where I think we see a lot of this whole uh, where people talk about entitlement. That's where it comes from. It's that inflated self-concept done because as uh, you know i would say it and i i think it's kind of like our generations ed that have done this we've you know we've given 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 because we think they deserve it and it's like eh, did they really earn yeah. it you know what i mean <clears throat> yeah and, and it's getting them to value it and of course the other problem is so now the first time they experience failure isn't on a basketball court playing city league at 16 years old. It's, you know, uh, when they fail an event on the army physical fitness test at 18 years old at basic training, this is the first time he experiences or she experiences failure. And then that's a whole nother can of worms because you just gave them a a shot to their self-esteem that they've never experienced before. Maybe it's that, you know, that, well, I, I've I've always thought I was good enough type attitude. Well, no, sometimes sometimes you you know it's not just good enough. You got to be better, right? 
MRT, right? We've talked about it before, Master Resilience Trainer. Yep. Overall, that was designed to help people learn to deal with things, right, Ed? Yeah, it was to overcome things. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But throughout the years before that, did we really have that? Uh, I'm a early 90s soldier, and I don't recall anything like this. Uh, we were taught to get over things by grabbing a big cup of suck it up and move on. Yeah, well, but but in a sense, though, I think about it, and, and I'm not knocking, I, I don't want to knock the program at all, because I do think there are elements of that program I truly like, because it's I've already been doing those things. It's just yeah. funny that other people didn't realize how to do it. I think there are circumstances that you're right on. So those earlier generations of soldiers also uh, suck it up and drive on, and then they end up with mental health problems much later down the road. You know, shell shock is nothing but today's PTS or PTSD is what they're currently calling it. But there is a movement to take disorder out of it, but that's all shell shot was. But these dudes were also, you know, coming back from these wars and just sucking it up and then committing suicide or killing somebody else. So right. there are things that MRT, I think MRT is a good tool for some of that, but I just think, I, honestly, I don't think there's buy-in into the program like there should be. I think it would be a better program if there's more buy-in. Uh, there just isn't. Everybody considers it the uh, program for how to hug a soldier, and that's that's just not what it is. But I'm definitely in agreement with you. What we're actually happening to show people how to deal with things a little bit better. Now, could past generations have... Um, use that and to to you know get through things oh absolutely probably so but that's the thing is we don't know because we didn't they didn't have it then my thing is is i think we set them up for failure but not allowing to have to deal with stuff earlier in life and so now it doesn't compile into a like you know the smallest what you and i may see as the smallest thing it's gargantuan to them and we have to help them through that and don't get me wrong I love helping somebody through things and to help them, you know, kind of, you know, do all the things they need. But at the same time, uh, I feel like if we, you know, and I deal with this with my son, you know, <laughs> uh, teaching him that thing, the world is not ended because there's no electricity in the house and you can't play a video game. But yeah, definitely, uh, you know, success and approval can be definitely be contributed to the greater self-esteem and a stronger self-concept into adulthood. So fi- in final, how our own self-concept can influence the behavior of others. And that's where this all falls back on. So we talked, you know, we started on influence starts with uh, self-concept. Well, now we're going to go into basically how it affects the behaviors of others. People generally treat other people as they are permitted. Self-concept plays a significant role in how other people will view and treat us. All right, that's it. I think that falls along also the lines of, uh, treat people the way I want to be treated. You know, the whole golden rule, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that's what that's what I think of when I read that too, is the golden rule. Yeah. Treat others as you would want to be treated. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Uh, this is where the common advice of fake it till you make it reapply, applies. <laughs> I, who was it? Was this somebody that we listened to, Ed, where they called fake? Oh, I know who it was. Never mind. It was Gary V. Gary Vaynerchuk, he talks about fake it till you make it. He said, that's, he said, that's phony. There's no such thing. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, fake it till you make it. But then again, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I've done it myself where I like act like I knew what I was doing until I actually realized what was supposed to be done. So I don't know. I, 
I'm kind of up in the air about that. Yeah, I've I've actually given that advice to my daughter. <clears throat> she was getting uh she was working at a grocery store and she was getting a few complaints because she wasn't smiling, which is ridiculous. And I told her, I said, just smile at work. Fake it till you make it. Like just, you know, for the customer, put on a put on a show. And in the back of your mind, you could be thinking, You're so rude, you such a jerk. I said, just don't verbalize it. That's all. <laughs> hey, that's it, man. Wow. Um, So a person who defines themselves as incompetent or unreliable is likely to be viewed that way by others. Regardless of how true this may be, if a person's self-concept includes these views, they will likely talk about themselves in that way. They may also fall into patterns of behavior that confirm this view because they have accepted that this behavior is who they really are. Man, I've seen that before. Haven't you, Ed? I've seen this a lot in the military where people like joke around about being lazy and then they eventually evolve into where they are kind of lazy. And initially they may not be. It may just be like, ha ha ha. Yeah, I just sat in my office all day today and I, I, I just played uh whatever golf clash and then it just evolves because they keep saying it but then on the outside looking in that that supervisor hears you talking like that even though it's not even true but you're putting that thought into their mind that maybe you are stealing company time because you are playing video games on your phone when you're at work so it could put a negative you know a negative look on you Yeah. So in my past, I had, um, it's funny, uh, how things are worded here. And, and I think about in the past, uh, I had a guy once used to, he used to say, Oh, I I don't care. I don't care. Right. And he would say it a lot, but his actions didn't display that not all the time. But then I started noticing like, like this, like steadily decline. It's like a little bit, just a little bit and a little bit just kind of turning him into an I don't care person. And uh, I, we were months down the road, you know, many months. I, I think it was, goodness, probably two and a half years. And I noticed it really, really was I don't care anymore. And I, and I and I confronted him. And my problem, I think my problem was when I think about this, is I probably should have said something to him much earlier on. And I find myself saying that now to people. But I should have said something earlier on because literally – he was, and at the end, before he got out, was an I don't care person, and he just had this horrible negative attitude. And I'm like, man, I should have, I should have like involved myself sooner and just said, no, you do care. Look at all that you do. You're an amazing person. You care. Keep caring, man. Mm-hmm. If I'd have done something like that, I think it would have been different. You know? Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. It, you, you, if you interact and maybe you make open their eyes, they see um, that they're better than that. And and maybe when they're doing their own self-reflection, it'll come through. Like, you know, Brian said this. Yeah. And, you know, he's right. Yeah. I am better than that. So. Yeah, exactly. So given the evidence that they are presented with, other people will often share this person's view of themselves. That is, unless they are a close friend or family member who sees this person in an entirely different way to how they see themselves. So that falls right into what I was talking about there. That can also work to be the positive. A person who believes in themselves and puts forward a strong sense of self-worth is more likely to be treated positively. The person who emanates confidence in themselves is more likely to inspire confidence 
in other people, particularly if they can back up their claims with actions and results. I was thinking about, uh, Ed, where you mentioned about that, uh, that soldier that works in the orderly room. That, that describes that person right there, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, that, I think that describes her because, like I said, she just, her, her positive nature just rubs off. And, you know, even if like, uh, so I asked her to email me all the uh, scorecards for the Army Physical Fitness Test for my group of, of people. And it, it she didn't. And then two days later, she still hadn't. Well, I could have flew off the handle like she blew me off. But because of that, how positive she always is, I just called her and said, hey, I think you might have forgot. Da, 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 da. Could you shoot me an email with these in there? And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I did forget. No problem. Where if I had a call and start screaming, like, where, where am I getting with that? So I thought that, that that's a good example. It gave me some positive results. I mean, I got them. It wasn't a big deal. Nobody was shooting at me. I didn't need them right away, but eventually I did. And she's a busy person. Um, so, okay, you forget. It happens. Absolutely, man. Yeah, and that's, but that's the thing, though, is you kind of reinforced it with her, too, you know? Uh, congruence puts the individual in a place where they understand exactly what they have to offer to the world. It can positively and negatively affect not only the way a person treats themselves, but how the rest of the world will treat them. So really, overall, when you think about the whole concept of self-concept and then, you know, having self-esteem, self-image and idea self involved, how you can convey who you are to others can help change their mentality. Yes. You can influence others through your behaviors and how, you know, and and then they change their behaviors. Positive affirmation. That's one of the things Gary Chapman has a book. Uh, He he did the uh, five love languages. Uh, He also does the five languages of affirmation in the workplace. A wonderful book. Unbelievable. Because you learn how to treat people a certain way and they will treat you back that way. Yeah, this is a good one too. So, you know, at one point at the academy, because of who recommended me to work there, I was looked kind of down upon, I felt like, whether it was accurate or not. But then through how I worked once I got healthy and through my actions, um, I tried to put a spin on it. And at the end, when that one person retired, I feel like we had a different kind of relationship than we did when I first got there. And I think it was basically what you're saying right here. Um, you know, just my own self-concept, my self-image, you know, and who I wanted to be at the Academy drove that, uh, that change. Yeah. And, and the thing is though, it keeps, it keeps driving it though. Even though you stepped away from that particular role, you've carried aspects that you've built into your self-concept from then. And it's, I think it's allowing you and me too, to become the better NCO that we are, you know, within, within our roles and responsibilities. I mean, when, I, that, that's kind of like how I see it, but. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, all it did is helped us grow. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so let's see here. We always give a task. And tasks come in many forms and shapes and sizes. Of those six, and I'll label them out, all right? So there's the the six traits that you can group together 
um, to help work on your own self-concept. Physical, social, family, competence, academic, and effect. Pick two, and then you tell us how you could use those two to help build your own self-concept. All right. I think because to me, I think what happens is that allows also others to kind of see that self-concept or that ideal image or basically we're now we we can see that within you. And that's an influence, you know, and that starts that whole influence of, you know, fix, uh, not fixing, but updating your self-concept in a sense to and it will influence others to want to do the same, at least. Does that make sense? Yeah, sounds good to me. Absolutely. All right. Um, so like always, we are so happy to have you all listening to us. Uh, we've, I mean, we, we're very happy with the numbers and how things are going. And, and it's really not about the numbers because even if it's just one person listening and they're gaining knowledge, like that makes me happy because at least, you know, somebody's getting something from it. Um, but do us a favor, go on to the Facebook page, one zero one influence in your search bar, uh, hit, Click on the blue button that says visit group. Answer those three questions and become a part of our closed Facebook group um, if you've not already been. If you are part of the Facebook group, why don't you go ahead and share that with somebody else who is not a part of it already and they can become a part of it, right? So we we create influence by doing these little small tasks and that's just another way because all of a sudden, you've just influenced somebody to listen in and maybe they have influenced somebody and then so on and so forth. Um, I, to me, that's how the thing grows. And, and it doesn't have to be the concepts we're always talking about. I mean, you could pick and choose what you want, where you feel like you need, you know, to maybe build yourself concept. I don't know. We've, we've talked about things like toxic influence. We've talked to things about communicating influence. We've talked about influencing change. We had a great conversation about, uh, emotional intelligence. We've had great conversations with other people. But if you can take any of those elements and you can use those to help somebody else become a better person, well, that's that's a, the right direction we want to go with being a good instinctive influencer. Um, other than that, definitely check that out. Check out the uh, website, www.instinctiveinfluencer.com. We're on uh, Twitter and we're also on Instagram. And you can find us both on LinkedIn. Do you have anything else for the uh, for the audience there, Ed? No, I think we got another good one, uh, a good another good one in the queue here today, Brian. Yeah, I'm 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 definitely uh, I'm I'm pretty excited too because we've got some things coming up. Um, I've I put down some notes. Uh, I actually sent it to Ed not too long ago, and these are just ideas for other shows. Um, influence, you know, influence is you already heard us do that before, but we want to do one about mentorship maybe. How does the, our field of view influence us and others? Um, so when I talk about field of view, uh, picture if you're on a Google Maps, right? And you're looking in satellite view and you scroll in, you get way, way down. But if you scroll out, you can see the larger view, larger picture. So how, is, how does our influence uh, seen in different fields of view? And then influence through history. <laughs> You like you like the other ones, yeah. You like the history one. I want to do at least three episodes <laughs> of historical things because Ed is the man when it comes to history. He knows his stuff. Ish, and then we'll put an ish on that. <laughs> nah, man. Yeah, you you've got a, you've got a pretty good. Uh, maybe that's where we need Shamni to come into, I guess, to help out. But um, so 
And then a couple other things is we want to kind of take some of the the Army's training styles or the Army's uh, lessons learned that we've learned and try to kind of help others understand it to be able to use it, whether it be in the Army and not in the Army. Um, so one of them is like basically how to use the eight-step training model. You know, I mean, it's very effective if you use it properly. If you don't use it properly, then, well, it's not so effective. Um, or basically troop leading procedures. What we call troop leading procedures, you know, it could also be used at a business. Um, it just depends upon how they use it, you know. Uh, what does the label servant leadership really mean? Because I think there's there's like this idea of what it is, but I'm not really sure, you know, people understand, you know. And, and obviously, we, we have our general idea of what we think it is, too. And it might not be what somebody else thinks. Also, I, I wanted to see, see us get into a conversation about red teaming. Uh, Ed and I have done extensive looks at red teaming and understanding red teaming. Uh, I think that plays a big role in influence and influencing others. Um, performance evaluations. Uh, there's there's multiple types of performance evaluations. What I think we could do is we could kind of take what we have in the army and offer it up as just more advice for others to look uh, to do their performance evaluations. Influence during crisis management. To me, that's a big one because I mentioned earlier about somebody sees something is really important and other people don't see it. But crisis management in general, I remember I one of my classes uh, during my bachelor's program was completely about all crisis management. And I was just like, wow, I didn't realize how in-depth this is. So I definitely want to look at that. And then I think one that kind of strikes a chord with us in the service um, because of the light that is always shined upon it um, that we really need to kind of focus on. And Ed will probably agree with this big time is how can we be an advocate against sexual assault? I, that one, um, that's kind of, that's an influence. That's definitely an influencer one. It, it falls along the lines, the same lines as the, uh, the suicide show, but I wanted to kind of, I want to look at that and, and, you know, how can we become advocates to fight against such a thing? Wow. So what are your thoughts, Ed? Yeah, I think we got some uh, good stuff on tap uh, coming up. And yeah, it could be uh, some of those are a little deep. Some of them are going to be fun. I think we got some uh, some good messages and I think the listeners will really enjoy them. Absolutely. Yeah. And plus we have all the influences topics. There's about 52 of those. So <laughs> so we've got we've got a work cut out for us, my friend. All right. Um, with that, I don't want to keep you on air too long. Um, thank you very much for listening. I am Brian. And I am Ed. And this has been the Instinctive Influences Podcast. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.